0: Good morning to you too. Well, welcome to Connection Point Church, and welcome to those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I serve as lead pastors here. So glad you have joined us this Labor Day weekend. As uh, we're going to continue our our series on Acts, I want to be uh, uh, before I get into the message. I'm going to forget if I don't say it. Next Sunday, the 13th, we're going to reopen Kids Spaces, so elementary, preschool, infants, toddlers. Uh, Thanks for those of you that are helping make that happen as volunteering in those spaces is what's required for that to happen. And uh, so thank you teachers and directors and um, kids. We're looking forward to that. And I do want to remind you, as we shot out an email, letting parents know that uh, as part of that check-in process, we just want to do temperature checks, make sure kids are healthy. Again, if your kids are not healthy, man, just join our online audience. We're glad for for you to be there as well. Um, If you wouldn't send them to school, Let's not make sure that we don't put them in kid spaces too. We want to make sure everybody stays in a healthy space. And, but looking forward to that next week. It's, it's been amazing, especially in the infants, toddlers, and preschool areas. Kingdom Builders dollars invested there to, to create some amazing spaces for our kids as we continue to disciple them and who Jesus is. So, so thanks for that. And you'll get updates on those. We'll show you some video of that as well in the, in the coming weeks. I uh, want to get into a, a message today picking up where we left off and, and Acts chapter two, and one of the things that was uh, Shelley and I had learned is, you know, before being here, and Shelley had mentioned it was five years ago we came and talked about missions. We had been overseas in Khartoum, Sudan, and Jerusalem, Israel. And and part of what you have to do when you go into a setting like that is, as you work with the church and and seek to establish the church, it's really important that you go and just bring Jesus. What you don't want to do is try to import Western culture. That's not the goal. It diminishes the value of the culture that you're, you're there uh, getting to know and, and the people that are there and, and their expression of who Jesus is and what church looks like. And, and so one of the things that helped us with that is passages like the one we're going to get into today in Acts chapter 2 where you just look at what are the common principles that you see in place. And you can look at a passage like this and, and draw those things out that what does it mean to be the church, who is the church, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And then, what does the church do? Who are the people of God group? And, and this passage helps to define that for us in, in really great ways. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I hope you've got God's Word with you today. Uh, we say that because we want you in God's Word. We want to make sure you have a copy of God's Word in your home. If you don't, let us know. We'd be happy to get you a copy. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, looking at verses 41 through 47. We read those verses a couple of weeks ago. We're going to revisit them. It's such a good passage, we'll preach it twice. Acts 2, 41 to 47. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And here's what Luke writes. He says, so those who received his word. So again, Peter preaches this message. at the day of Pentecost. And he preaches and it says, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they voted themselves, so these 3,000 souls, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we left off with a message on the church is, and, and now we're gonna turn our attention to what the church does, but I wanna remind us what the church is. And, and what we found a couple of weeks ago is that the church is people. The church is people, that Jesus, he did not die for events and buildings, he died to set people free. People like you and me, praise the Lord. People outside of these walls. And so the church is people, we found that out first, and, but we also found that the church is diverse. You go back and you look at these 3,000 that were saved and baptized, this incredible list, it says in scripture that those who were there were represented every nation under heaven. Isn't that amazing? Every nation under heaven. So they got to hear this message and some responded. Parthenians and and those from Mesopotamia. It says Cretans and and Arabs. So there's this diverse nature to the church from the very beginning. But as part of that diversity, what we find interesting is, is that it was not inclusive. In other words, it didn't include everyone because all of those nations represented people of Jewish background. So it was a a Jewish church kind of early on, and then 10 years later, Peter gets this vision of a sheet coming down. He goes to a household, a Gentile household, and now Gentiles are welcomed into the faith. So although the church is diverse, it doesn't start as inclusive, but I will say this, they still struggled, as you read the New Testament, to include everyone all the time. And so the challenge for us is, we are a diverse church. Praise God, because we live in a diverse community, Shelly and I love that about the West Lafayette area. We love that there's diversity here, but we also have to be very, very intentional about being inclusive. What does inclusive mean? Inclusive is not just welcoming people into this building. Inclusive is inviting people into your home and into your lives. So how are you doing in that area? Because we are the church. So if we're not doing that, then we as the church are not doing that. So how are we doing in those areas? And, And I was thinking as I was working back through this message and preparing for... For today, you know, I'm using two words that we're hearing a lot, you know, about diversity and inclusion. And and somebody say, Well, Pastor, you're just using those words because they're kind of out there right now. Honestly, those are great descriptors of exactly what we see in scripture of diversity that exists in the church, but not only in the early church, because we find that right away there's diversity, but at the end, Revelation 7. Every tribe, tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So we know that it starts that way, it ends that way, so in between we should be that way too, right? Yeah. You know, it's been said the, the most segregated time in our nation is Sunday mornings. As people go to their churches, sometimes it's Latino churches, you know, Hispanic churches or black churches or mostly white churches, but I don't think that glorifies God. I think what glorifies God is, is when diversity is valued, but also that people include each other in, in each other's lives. So I think that's something that we could grow in. The church, if we were to define it, what do we find? It's spirit empowered. We see this in Acts 2. Spirit empowered. It's diverse. It's inclusive. It's people. It's a community. That's what the church is. So, with an understanding of what the church is, and we also need to take a look at what does the church do? What does the church do? And, and this passage lays it out for us. That's why I wanted to do it in two parts. Let's look at who the church is, but That's, let's then look at what the church does. And and the first thing we find is that the church does fellowship. The church does fellowship. And and the word fellowship, it's an interesting word. It really only exists in Christianity. Have you ever heard anybody use the word fellowship before? Like, I'm going to go over to Bill's house and have some fellowship. It's kind of weird, right? Like, the only other place that I know that it exists is the Lord of the Rings. The fellowship of the ring, like that's the only other place I've seen it. So those are the only two places. But I think it's important we understand the meaning behind this word fellowship. Because it's, it's actually in the, the New Testament several times, at least 20 plus. So what is this word fellowship? Because it's not just Luke that uses it. John uses it and Paul uses it. And so it's important we understand it. So the Greek word, and you're actually probably going to know this word. It was huge for a time. Koinonia. You ever heard that word? If you've been in the church, and actually, I think it was the last word in the spelling be like two years ago. Like it was the winning word, koinonia. So that's the Greek word. So what is behind this word? What is Christian fellowship meant to be? Well, we take a look at some of the other verses that help to define what it is. We find in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, we proclaim to you that we ourselves, so John is writing. John, one of the the followers of Jesus, a disciple of his, that we have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. So part of our job is to tell people what we have seen and heard about Jesus, how he has impacted your life. Why? So that people can have fellowship with us. But here's what's key. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Koinonia, it first refers to the intimate relationship we have with God the Father and God the Son. All fellowship on this level happens because of the fellowship that we have with our Lord. But because of the fellowship that we have with our Lord, we should have close fellowship and relationship here. And so then if there's a struggle here, the question is, is there a struggle here? So that's something to look at. So koinonia, it's fellowship, it's kind of Uh, of relationships that occur out of the intimate relationship we have with God the Father. But what is that relationship supposed to look like? I like how the New International Reader's Version, it translates the verses we've read this morning, verses 42 and 43. It says, the believers studied what the apostles taught. They shared life together. That's how they translated koinonia. They shared life together. That's what koinonia is. They broke bread and ate together. They prayed. Everyone felt that God was near. I love that description. So the New International Reader's Version, it translates, they shared life together. They were in each other's homes. They went to the temple together. They ate meals together. They took communion together. They prayed together. They took care of each other's needs. We just read about all those things. But I love what the end result was. Everyone felt that God was near. Isn't that beautiful? I shared in a previous message this year that Connection Point is going to launch life groups in a a couple of weeks. And why? Because we'd like to see you in each other's homes. We'd like you to be with each other on a Sunday morning. This is great that we can do this, serving and worshiping God in in a large group setting. We would encourage you to enjoy meals together as opportunity permits, according to the times that we're in. We'd love to see you taking communion together. We'll do that together here in a little bit. Praying together and feeling and knowing that God is near. Isn't that wonderful? That God is near because he is. So I would encourage you when we launch life groups on September 20th, be sure to sign up. If you're a young adult, you can sign up for one today. Young adult life groups start next week already. So it's live online. Go to connectionpointchurch.org and say sign up for a young adult life group. So if you're a young adult, sign up today. You're meant to do life together. The church does fellowship, but the church also does teaching. The church does teaching. Uh, Our passage says that believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted does not mean they heard it and they carried on with life. Devoted means they listened, made application of it to their life. So again, remember the early church, it's made up from people of a Jewish background. And and when it says the early church devoted themselves, it means they learned it according to their culture. And in that culture, the way that you learn, they would assume if you have not applied it, if you're not doing it, you've never learned it. But how many things do we hear we don't make application to, we think that we've learned it, but we really haven't? here's what I mean. I could go to seminary, to, to Bible school. I could take a class on the book of Matthew I could get all of the the test questions right and get 100% as though I've learned it. But if I don't learn how to forgive my enemies, if I don't apply Matthews 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount to my life, have I really learned it? Not really. So learning requires application. That's what devotion means. This verse is not saying the early church listened to a weekly message and carried on with their life. No, this verse is saying the early church, they heard what the apostles had to say, they applied it, uh, they prayed about it in the temple, they talked about it on the dinner table, they were held accountable to it by other believers, and they were forever changed by what they heard because they applied it to their lives. There's a big difference. They were devoted to it. If you look up our, our message notes on version, so if, if you know what version is, we put our notes there for all of our messages, and, and if you go look at those, you'll find the end of every message has the same two questions. Basically, what will you do in response to this message, how are you going to apply it, and who are you going to share it with? Those two questions, I'm convinced, is part of what we've missed in our culture of how we're changed and transformed by God's word. If we're not living it, if we're not sharing it, have we really learned it? If I'm honest, one of my concerns is once you've learned it, you're now responsible for it. So part of me feels like, I'm sorry for making you responsible for so many things the last several years. I don't know what to do with that. But it's upon us, because this is the extraordinary life as we talk about. Jesus defines for us life to the full, and if we walk it out, we'll step into that life. So what are we going to do? So as it relates to this message, when we're done with this message today, you need to answer for yourself. What are you going to do? How are you going to apply this to your life? Who are you going to share it with? Because the church does fellowship and teaching, and the church does prayer. The church does prayer. That's strong in this passage. Uh, One of the things that uh, we knew would be important when, when COVID hit and we needed to close our building was a need for us to gather regularly for prayer. We knew that would be vital, so we set up daily times online for people to gather and pray. And many did gather to pray, uh, the first several weeks in particular. You see, I believe God brings about these moments of awakening. We talked about how the Lord brings about awakening, and sometimes it's in the midst of crisis. And so he brings about these moments, their invitations to change. And in those moments, it's important we set up the right habits, practices, visions, and values in order to seize the opportunity for a fresh outpouring of the Lord in our lives. We can seize those moments if we go after it. And the challenge is if we don't, then we miss out on something special God wanted to do in our lives, and I don't want us to miss anything. But I I, I would say this, to that end, I've wondered what people will tell their grandchildren one day when asked what they did during the COVID pandemic. We know that this is a big deal. You talk to my parents, you know, my dad just turned 71 last month. Like, this is unprecedented, we know it. So this will be talked about for a while, and I wonder what will we tell our grandkids when they ask what we did during covid Will people be able to say, I pressed into the Lord, (coughs) I spent time on my knees, I received something special from God, or will they only be able to talk about the shows or movies they watched? Prayer is vital to the life of the church. Is it vital to you? It's important to take time to pray daily, it really is. And if you don't know how to pray, ask someone who does. Or if you really want to learn how to pray, pray with others. That's how you learn how to pray. We have corporate prayer time, and we have a prayer room over here. We're right now on the Sunday mornings meeting in the fireside room. Join us, 845 to 945 for prayer. That's how you learn how to pray. We have First Friday prayer. We just had it last Friday, 630 to 1030. If you want to learn how to pray, get in a place where others are praying. You'll learn how to pray. It's important you do, because the church does fellowship, teaching, and prayer. And the church does signs and wonders. The church does signs and wonders. Uh, When Shelly and I were living in Jerusalem, I attended a a church planting conference in Nairobi, Kenya. And the speakers that were there, they shared 10 characteristics of church planting movements. And, And you had hand motions, so we learned these 10 characteristics. The last one, the 10th characteristic of church planting movements, they said, was healthy churches. But then they backed it up to say, so to be honest with you, doctrinally, We're from a denomination that doesn't believe in signs and wonders today, so we've had to kind of soften that characteristic. If you want to be honest, what we have found in in mission settings, the 10th characteristic is signs and wonders. We just can't say that. But we know it's signs and wonders. God does signs and wonders today. They were for the early church, they're for this church. Jesus is in the business of the miraculous. He just is. We serve the God of the impossible. And Shelley and I seem to be continually reminded of that. We had friends, and one of the, the couples that served with us when we were in Jerusalem on our church planting team there, they now pastor in the Chicago area, and, and uh, the, the wife, she had a, a brain bleed in, was it the first Monday in May? First Monday in May. And she wound up needing to go to the hospital. I mean, that can, that can be fatal. It's one of those things you don't know that you have until that happens. And wound up in the hospital, and, and basically her memory would reset every 20 minutes, can you imagine living like that? Like she just she couldn't remember what happened 20 minutes ago. So they were trying to figure out what to do with this, and so then they were going to go to. They had two different procedures they could do for surgery, and so they decided the one they were going to do, and, and they were going to do it uh, in mid-August, and, and so Shelly and I we were on July, the end of uh, on vacation, at the end of July, so we decided to go visit with them as part of our vacation time, and and we had been asking people to pray, and pray for God's healing work. And so as they went to the doctor and to go see kind of where things were at, because if this doesn't get healed, then it can become fatal if it happens again. And, and so as they went to the doctor, the doctor, they scanned for six hours. That's part of what you have to do in preparation for the procedure. And, and after scanning for six hours, the doctor at Northwestern, I mean, some of the, the best doctors for this procedure, he came out and he said, well, in my 20 years of doing this kind of surgery, I've never seen this. Somehow your brain healed itself. He didn't have an answer, but we have an answer. God is in the business of signs and wonders today. It's what he does. And so then we look to the Lord for that. As uh, one of our, our guests, our mentor that we were with in Jerusalem, he came last September and he talked about what God was doing in the church planting movement, the disciple making movement, in the West Bank and beyond the West Bank. As we look at the testimonies of what's happening there, it really is like you're reading the book of Acts. I think sometimes we've missed that here because I think we've put too much emphasis on the here and not enough emphasis in the streets. I firmly believe as you read the book of Acts, I actually teach a class for pastors in the state of Indiana, and I have them go through and just look at the work of the Holy Spirit, and I ask them, what's the location that that occurred? And we've placed so much emphasis on the here, we're missing the out there where God wants to do signs and wonders. So I encourage you as we get into life groups. Part of the reason we want to see that happen because I firmly believe we're going to hear testimonies of God moving in a life group, healings happening, and signs and wonders being restored. God means us to live in the Book of Acts. We're in the 29th chapter, so if we're missing something, it's because maybe we're not stepping out what God has intended for us just yet. So what I would encourage: pray and expect God to do the miraculous in your life. Expect it. It's normal Christianity. When Watch what God does. So next chance you get, pray with someone who needs a miracle and just see what God does. It's up to him. It's not up to us. The church does fellowship, teaching, prayer, signs and wonders, and the church does singing. We did it here this morning. Our passage tells us the believers went to the temple to worship, and that would have included singing. We know that when Jesus and the disciples left the upper room to go to the garden of Gethsemane, it says that they left singing hymns. The book of Psalms, the the book that's in in the middle of your Bible, if you go through, usually you can find Psalms, it's in the middle. That was the early prayer and hymn book for the church. And what we find, why do we sing? It's important that we sing for a couple of reasons. Number one, it shapes us. Singing changes us from the inside out. I don't know how, but it just does. Singing also has a way of carrying us through difficult times. How many times have you been walking through a challenge and the right song comes along your path and it changes your perspective? I hope you've experienced that. We've seen that in the case of of people who have faced hardship around the world, the persecuted church, that they have heart songs that carry them through things. And I would say this, connected to songs carrying us through difficult times is the ability songs have to advance God's agenda in the world. It's really interesting to me that the Israelites, when they would go out to battle, they would put the musicians out in front. Of course, I think about, you know, there's always, I always read into humor in in God's word. I think that's why I like Matt Overman, because I know he does too. So they they put the musicians out front. Is it because they just didn't want to hear them anymore? No. We know they put them out in front because that's how they started their battle. They knew that it was in song, that God would go before them in worship. There's something that God does in song. He advances his agenda in the world. Singing changes us. It carries us through difficult times and he fights our battles. So let's be sure to sing. When our worship team is up here singing, they're not up here singing for your entertainment. They're up here singing because they want to engage you and create an environment where you can sing too. So join them in song. Singing songs is important as a part of your daily abiding time too because the church does singing. And the church also does giving. Our passage points out the believers, they took care of each other's needs. Going back to the word koinonia we talked about before, there's, this is the word that Paul uses when he's collecting an offering from the Greek churches for the church in Judea that's facing hardship and famine. He uses the word koinonia, that the word generosity has roots to that. That part of koinonia, part of fellowship, is the sharing of things. And so we share, we're in fellowship. And part of genuine fellowship includes sharing, sharing with others locally and globally, and our church is great to do that. So I would encourage you, the next time you have opportunity to give, let's do so. You'll be blessed, and so will those who are receiving, on the receiving end of that gift. On our our gift boxes in the back of the sanctuary, we use that scripture, that the giving has resulted in hearts of thanksgiving for others. That somehow our giving translates into others looking to God and giving him glory. So let's be sure to give. The church does fellowship, teaching, prayer, signs and wonders, singing and giving. And the church done right, it grows. The church done right, it grows. I I love this in verse 47. It talks about what happens when believers devote themselves to doing church right, to being the church. Our passage tells us the Lord added to the number day by day those who are being saved. The church that's devoted to close relationships, the church that's devoted to scripture and prayer, the church that experiences signs and wonders that sings and gives selflessly can be expected to grow. So when a church is not growing, it's likely something is off in one of these areas. So I would say, how are we doing? And more specifically, how are you doing? Because we are the church we are we have to apply this personally to our lives. So how are you doing investing in meaningful relationships with others? How are you doing applying scripture to your life? How are you doing spending time in personal and corporate prayer? How are you doing expecting signs and wonders to be a part of the normal Christian experience? Do you join others in singing? Do you give selflessly? Which one of these things do you think you might need to work on this week, this month, or this year? Because if you're lacking in any of these areas, we as the church are lacking, and it affects our collective ability to advance the kingdom of God in our lives, in this area, in the world. So Lord, help us, because we're in this together. So let's be devoted together to being this kind of church. So how do we do that? When life groups launch in a couple of weeks, sign up, so that you might build meaningful relationships with others in this congregation. As we close the message today, answer the question in response to this message, I will. And you can apply God's word to your life. Join us Sunday morning or for first Friday prayer. Join a corporate prayer time. It's important to pray with others. Pray and believe God for the miraculous because we serve the God of the impossible. And join us in song on Sunday mornings and sing throughout your week. Be faithful to regularly give. This is who the church is. It's what the church does because the church done right grows. So let's make a commitment to be devoted to doing church right, to being the church together. And we're gonna do that this morning by taking communion. So I hope you grabbed a communion cup this morning because that's a big part of what communion is all about. It's a commitment to God and to each other that this morning I'm gonna focus on Doing church right and doing it together. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a great uh, great book called Life Together. It's it's really a great book. In the 1940s, describing life in a healthy Christian community. And he wrote this book describing his work in a seminary not far from where Hitler was training his troops. Can you imagine that? Like you've got a seminary, you're training Bible school students, and you've got Nazi Germany preparing their army. And so there was a friend of Dietrich's that came to him to express concern over the kind of discipleship Dietrich was leading his students in, because it was deep, like it, it was not any kind of consumer Christianity. It was like, we're going after deep discipleship here. And so his friend came and expressed concern. He thought Dietrich was too intense. So Dietrich took his friend in a rowboat across the river where his seminary was, and, and he took him to where Hitler was training his troops. And so Dietrich, he's standing on the banks of the river and he points to where Hitler's training his troops and he proceeds to tell his friend, what we're doing in this seminary has to be stronger than what Hitler is doing to train his army. He said, we have to raise up a generation of Christians whose formation is stronger than that of the Third Reich. That was his commitment. And really the commitment is indifferent different today. The world has an incredible hold on us, whether we realize it or not. And either we go after deep discipleship to say what we're doing is serious or we're going to miss it. The world is in desperate need of a generation of Christians who are devoted to fellowship and scripture and prayer and signs and wonders and singing and giving and committing themselves to one another and to God through communion. They really are. The world desperately needs a church to be devoted to God and to each other more than anything else in this world. Because it's the message of the church that sets people free. And our world needs freedom. You see, we're not meant to be spiritual consumers. We're meant to be spiritual contributors. In the end, the church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Have you considered that this morning? So what I want us to do is to take communion together. And to take communion, committing ourselves to being the church that is, we see described in Acts 2. So where are you lacking in those areas? Make a commitment today to say, Jesus, I'm going to do better in this area because I know that you can help me do that. For our communion this morning, I'm going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 if you want to join me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul writing, he says, "'For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, "'that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed "'took bread.'" And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you want to open up the part on bottom or top, depending on how you have it facing, grab out the bread this morning. We're going to take that this morning. God, I just thank you for your broken body. I thank you that we can commit ourselves to you and to each other to be a church that's devoted. Maybe we just stop right there. A church that's devoted. And God, I I just pray that we would be able to make that commitment this morning. And in those areas where maybe we're lacking, I pray, Jesus, that you would just, by your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and help us to be changed and transformed by participating in prayer, by participating in singing, by participating in giving and in communion and fellowship. Lord, change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take the bread together. And Paul continues. He said, "In the same way, also he took the cup after uh, after supper. So let's take the cup." He said, "This cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, until he comes." But is Jesus in a tomb? I hope you know the answer to that question. Is Jesus still in a tomb? No. No. So we proclaim the Lord's death and it's assumed his resurrection because Jesus is alive today. And so we can celebrate that. Let's take the the drink together. Jesus, we thank you that you shed your blood on a cross for us, that we might have forgiveness of sins and be united with you forever. And God, I, I do pray, as you prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, that you would have a body that's united in faith. I pray, Jesus, you unite this body in faith. Help us be devoted followers of you. Help us not be on the fringe. Help us not be people who are, are back row in our attempts to follow you. But, Jesus, help us be on the field, advancing your kingdom. Because this world needs change, and you're the one that can change it. So, Jesus, I pray that we would be devoted to the things we see in this passage. One of fellowship. One of fellowship devoted to scripture and, and applying it to our lives, devoted to prayer, devoted to singing, and, and devoted to giving. God, I just pray that we would apply these words to our lives that we might be the church that you add to their number daily because we're going after the things that are your heart. Lord, help us be that church, we pray. Amen. So how does Jesus build his church? Jesus builds his church as we devote ourselves to fellowship, apply scripture to our lives, pray, expect signs and wonders, sing, give, and take communion together. And it is vital. It is vital we become Christians who have Christ formed deeply in us. And can I tell you, that doesn't happen simply through 75 minutes once a week on a Sunday morning. It takes more than that. This is part of that, but it's a part, it's not the whole. It takes people doing life together in each other's homes, sharing meals, taking communion, praying together, and taking care of one another's needs. The world desperately needs to see that kind of Christian community. They really do. So I would encourage you to be a part of that community. Going back to Dietrich von Bonhoeffer and his small band of disciples, you know, they were up against Hitler and Nazi Germany, and you want to know who won? The seminary was closed down, half the leaders pledged allegiance to Hitler, and many others were arrested. Things didn't look great at the time, but fast forward 70 years to today. Bonhoeffer's a hero, his life and books have inspired millions, the German church is repentant, and Nazi Germany failed. In the end, it was about the depth of transformation in people's lives more than the might of a worldly army. God, Jesus is king, and as we follow him and his plan, we know that our lives will make a difference. So let's be devoted to being that kind of church Jesus uses for his great purposes. And I would say watch as this church makes a difference, not only in greater Lafayette area, but all around the world. In fact, we're going to celebrate that in in two weeks. We're going to see how this church has been impacting the world and the community in which we live. So let's be devoted to these things and watch what the Lord does. I'm going to invite you to stand as we, we close this morning. As you're standing, I'll just... Put this before you today. If you don't know who Jesus is, if if you've not committed your life to him, if you have not devoted your life to him, that's a good word for this morning, as you have questions about that, come find me after the service. I'll be here in the sanctuary so that I might answer questions and help point you in the right direction of what it looks like to follow Jesus for a lifetime, that you might enter into eternal life forever with him. But as you leave from this place this morning, may the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you, show you his mercy, and fill you with his peace. Amen. Go with God today.